<laughs> Welcome. We are Eject Rejects. We are Rejects. Ooh, man, every time I do it, we you are can, your Rejects. You Let can. me just hook on phonics that. I'm Forrest. I'm Jacob. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Ian. That was fantastic, Forrest. <clears throat> and we are uh, reviewing this a movie called Six String Samurai, which is one of Forrest's picks. Mm. Um, Definitely a forest pick, by the way. Which means yes. it's flawless and amazing. You should all watch it and ignore what Ian's about to follow it up with. That was me farting. Man, close your legs. Okay. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and open with my usual shtick. It's going to be very quick this time, and then I'll let Forrest give the synopsis of this movie. Um, so this film was directed by Lance Maniga, who, if you haven't heard of him, that probably makes good sense because he has only directed like two other films after this um one of which was the fourth crow movie if anyone remembers the crow from the 90s there was a fourth crow yes (laughs) it's interesting i actually watched a documentary in regards to this show and to regards this film series you notice how i'm talking about the crow rather than this movie um because he loves this movie so much no i'm just surprised i know there i know there was a second crow but I didn't even know that there was a third there or a four, fourth. And there's been constant attempts to talk about redoing this franchise. Anyway, the only reason why I wanted to bring up The Crow is because this fourth Crow movie that this gentleman did uh, starred uh, Tara Reid from American Pie, but more importantly, Edward Furlong. Over my head. My Little two. John Connor from T2. Oh, shit. And then Edward went crazy after and everything. And then he did The Crow, so that showed how well his career went. Sorry, Edward he did No, no, no. He did The Crow 4. That, the shows, crow four. that shows how well that his career went. That is a good went. point. Moving on from that, and then in regards to budget, uh, this movie had a $2 million budget. And in terms of what it made, it made absolutely nothing because I couldn't find any information on it. <laughs> because on it to you, Forrest. independent film. This was a passion project. It's not about the money, but about the doing and the seeing, and guess what? Ian? What? Yes, oh. Forrest. They, I did find how much they made. I'm not gonna say it. I found how much they made too. I just didn't want to state it because it like was somewhere in like the five digits. Yeah, it was what? Yeah, it was five digits. Ooh, well, it's, it's like thirty-two thousand or something. Uh, so, so, folks. Just giving you a heads up, this is going to be pretty much a browbeat for this whole entire episode. There are three huge opinions on this movie, and you'll find out which one is the loudest. Hint, it's me. So, this movie, Six String Samurai, is about a apocalyptic past sort of kind of future, 1957, ten years after that, after a nuclear holocaust between uh, Soviets and U.S. The world is demolished. Everything is dead. There was a war. We lost. And now, rock and roll rules. The only city of salvation and peace left is Las Vegas. The king, Elvis, has just passed away. There is a vacancy. That porcelain Bruce throw... Bruce Campbell's dead! No! <laughs> the porcelain throw of which... He died upon, and yes, I'm making an Elvis poop joke. Needs- <laughs> References to previous episodes, if you haven't seen them, folks. Go watch Bubba Hotep, or and listen to Bubba Hotep episode. Velvis. Velvis in general. Man, this is going to be a weird episode. It's okay, man, we got this. This so, is a I'm weird movie. I'm really enjoying this already. <laughs> it's in theme with the movie, so. Sure. So, 
the movie. Um, oh, the city needs a new king. Who is going to take up that throne? Who is going to rival Elvis? Well, I'll tell you. It's Buddy frickin' Holly. Traveling across this lands, barren landscapes, cannibals, cavemen, bowlers, and death himself will stop him. Yes. Yes. Or try to. Or at least, well, mm, we'll stop him. But they will <laughs> attempt to it first. And you know what? This movie is all about this wonderful passion project between the director and the main actor, uh, Jeffrey Falcon, who plays Buddy Holly, and Lance Munega, or however you want to pronounce his last name. These two really wanted to make this film, and it was a bit of a passion project, so you can see all this flavor and love coming through. And I'm trying to get my word out before Ian goes in. Go, Ian! <laughs> Forrest has been cringing the past week since we watched this movie for me to destroy this. In all seriousness, viewers, my wonderful, wonderful viewers, I'm going to preface this by saying that when Forrest described this movie to me, I was totally down because this honestly sounded like my jam. You got post-apocalypse, you got you got music, you got goofy boo movie stuff, you got action scenes. You know, Buddy Holly's running around with a samurai sword and a classic 1957 guitar, which it actually wasn't what the card they said yeah. it was. Doesn't really matter, non-porn. So I was totally down for this movie, and I love the premise of this movie in so many ways. Is there a but there? There is a but, but okay. I don't want to be going on for 10 minutes, so I'm going to okay. intersperse my stuff with what you guys have to say. Okay. I, I also I also really liked when the, the way Forrest explained it. I also liked the trailer that he showed. The trailer definitely is a different vibe than what the movie actually is. I, I went into this, and I actually told Forrest, I went into this with really bad expectations. Um, and they weren't completely wrong, but I ended up having a really great time with this movie overall. Um, there's a lot of things I liked about it. Um, the it, it was <laughs> it, it was good, but not as good as I initially thought it was going to be. So, a little more backtracking here because this. This already needs a shit ton of backtracking. <clears throat> Jeffrey Falcon plays Buddy, or Buddy Holly. Justin McGuire plays the kid, just labeled the kid in this, who is almost just kind of sort of rivaling any and all kids in any Godzilla, Gamera kind of Japanese films where the kids are so annoying and so bad they almost ruin the film. He's kind of bordering... Border- bordering oh my goodness it's the alcohol man i mean by that i mean not enough alcohol and then lex <laughs> lang has the voice of death who actually plays neo cortex in one of my favorite game series crash bandicoot the red oh. elvises who is a band that play themselves who also do a lot of the music with one of my favorites um composers brian tyler who did the music for bubba hotep see it's all coming around and oh, then uh cool Another person who I will talk about later who plays a parody of a very important character that I think is another connection to the theme of this film altogether, and I want to mention later after Ian so I can have it as a rebuttal and blow his mind. Damn. I, I kind of want to go back to the kid that you were talking about. You said mm-hmm. he You said he was bordering on just absolutely ruining the movie he definitely had moments where it was really hard to Mm -hmm. just sit there and deal with it because 
the the way he communicated for like even even for like the first half of the movie the only way he communicated was by yelling uh do we want to actually like all try and imitate him right now okay no ah! <clears throat> literally that it was that but I, and and this and you know i i much like with the rest of this movie i actually ended up really liking the kid despite that i i thought he was a decent character they made him look they made him actually look intelligent they made his they made his story they made they made they gave him a really good story cuz it starts from the beginning and it, it they see it through all the way to the end and um yeah he he can definitely get annoying at times but i think overall the kid it was a good it was a good choice for actor too the actor was just fine um but yeah i think overall He's a good character. Sure, and and that's great that you brought up the kid because I think that might be a a good place to kind of dig in a little bit more. Is is talking about the kind of characters as a whole since Force brought that up, and that was uh, some things I wanted to talk about, both good and bad. Believe it or not, there are things I did enjoy about this movie. Um, so the 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 kid reminded me actually a lot of the feral kid from Road Warrior, also known in the U.S. as Mad Max 2. Very, very similar, especially at the beginning when he doesn't speak at all. And then he takes the shift into this more intelligent character later, which, you know, it's kind of whatever. Like, I thought it was fine. I didn't hate it, but it didn't really, like, speak out to me. I thought the kid was a fine character. He did drive me up the wall to the point where I went to reach into the screen and wring his neck at the beginning because that little scream was so annoying. But I liked what they were going for, and I'm actually very curious to see if they were actually getting some inspiration from the feral kid from Road Warrior, because some of the things he did, the way he dressed, the way he acted, like, all he needed was the boomerang, and it would have been kind of the same thing. And I'll just preface this one thing, and I'll I'll move on to Forrest in regards to this. Put simply, a large reason why this film irked me so much is I feel like if you want to put it into like a visual metaphor, it's like you got the batter coming up to swing the bat and do his home run, and the ball gets flung at you, and then not only does he miss the ball, but he does that comical spinning around multiple times and falls on his ass. To me, that's kind of what this movie was for me, is it was... It had so much missed potential, and a lot of the missed potential for me was like it was deliberate or they were just completely ignorant of the potential they had at times. So I'll leave it at that, and we'll dig more into it. So I can add to that. The whole batter going up to the plate, he's swinging and twirling around because he missed so bad. That's your analogy of the film. Yes, absolutely. Mine would be that it's slow motion walking up to the plate the crowd is roaring spits down at the plate looks up at the batter the batter spits the ball spits (laughs) (laughs) sorry the crowd spits (laughs) and then the pitcher spits I'm done what I'm I'm trying to say is this film is all about the show, and it's almost more of an art house film than it tries to be. The premise is goofy. The outcome is goofy. So, in Ian's analogy, he misses the ball. My analogy, he also misses the ball, but he does it in a very dramatic 
fashion to the point where it's not really about the pitch. It's not really about the the journey of the ball, but it's about the the expression and the the visuals and just how cool they can make this look when everyone is just spitting. <laughs> Even the inanimate objects. <laughs> um, no, I, and I can I can agree with you on that. I think I think uh, aside from like. The, aside from the main act, like the lead actor, uh, Mr. Falcon, his, Jeffrey uh, Falcon, Jeffrey yes. Jeffrey Falcon. I'm so sorry, his acting wasn't good. Oh God! It it was just, and I looked up, I looked, uh, I did a little skim on his IMDb. His other movies were, I I think it was they were all Chinese. Yes, he's really a huge martial artist. Which um, which so that shows. Yes, that is absolutely because show. because. The the choreography for the fighting in this movie was really good. Yes, that is some that is a kudos I will give it. But and I don't know, kind of good to go back to Ian's point. That's that's kind of what I liked about it. I found it entertaining because it, that it was so bad. Like there, it just it it didn't necessarily take me out of it. I can still get on with this really goofy premise. Well, it, the premise isn't goofy. The the actions are goofy. The premise is really good, but the the execution is really goofy and but that's that's kind of why i liked it i i just after i stopped trying to be critical of it and i i just looked oh, at I it can't do that that's the problem I, I know i know but once i stopped that it helped me thoroughly enjoy this movie even more because then i just i i kind of just accepted it for what it was and that's what helped me enjoy it more. I, I love, and and I, and then I could actually find find things that I loved about it. Yeah, no, and 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 I think you all make great points, and and your points are good too, Forrest. And and I think that this was a great movie for us to review because we all have very differing opinions, and I think they all have good reasons behind them. It kind of highlights us as as individuals and the things that we look for in movies, and. There's basically two things about this movie that just made it like almost unwatchable for me at times. And I'll just talk about one right now because it ties in with what we're talking about as the characters. Is I'm a very, very big character guy in films. I have to care about the characters. The characters either have to be believable or they just have to be interestingly enough for me to care about why I'm watching this film. At no point did I give a crap about these characters. I'm sorry, but I really didn't. Um, Jeffrey Falcon, great, great stuntman. Like, the choreography in this movie was great, and that was one of the things I did really like about this movie, is the fight scenes were really good. And in some ways, I was like, wow, if this movie had a higher budget and maybe a better script... If it had a silent know, protagonist. <laughs> yeah, if, but, but Jeffrey Falcon as a character, the way he portrayed Buddy, or which we're assuming is Buddy Holly... God, like, he, I, I, he, every single time he opened his mouth, I'm like, that is just so terrible. Just pull your sword out and stop talking. And they don't really explain anything about, like, why he wants to be the king. They kind of hint at it, which, again, goes to, like, missed things in the movie. Is they kept on, like, wanting to give me something to hold interest in the movie. And then they never explore it at all. It's just like this dude just shows up in the desert, rescues this kid, and I'm going to become the king. And that's all we need to know. Well, me as a as a film watcher, I do need to know so I understand why there's stakes in the film. And overall, that was one, one, one of my two biggest problems with this movie is the characters never had any depth beyond one dimension. And unfortunately, that dimension was not enough for me. So let me ask you a question. Honest opinion for both of you. Would mm. you say Buddy Holly as a character was cool in this film? Cool? No. Yes. 
Really? Okay. So, yeah, yes. I would say he was cool. Now, I'm going to ask this next question to you. Okay. Going back to Streets of Fire. Okay. Oh, yeah. Shots are fire. Uh-oh. Going back to Streets of Fire, uh-huh. a movie that was also a rock and roll fairy tale. Both these are very similar up to that alley. It's all about the music and the journey of these characters rather than really the story, which my question being, William Defoe's character. Mm-hmm. Not much of a character, correct? And we even talked about that. Yeah, I, he was more bad to be bad. He was very menacing and did I, a whole lot I, with his one dimension. I, I, but I think I think what kind of blinded us with the rose tinted goggles on that is that we all love Willem Dafoe. Yeah, because he was a charismatic character. Jeffrey uh, because, Falcon has no it's charisma. Beca- well, it, that is incorrect. He he has charisma. It's just not good charisma. He has charisma when he's fighting. Sure, which is why I like the fights. That's why I liked it, but I think we all had rose tinted goggles on for that for for Streets of Fire specifically that character. It's because it, well, and Willem Dafoe had a very his it, what whatever he lacked in speaking emotion, his face made up for in really he has a very emotional face, you know. Okay. So what I was trying to get across with that okay. is the the main characters and I feel like both those films are very one-dimensional to a point, especially Six String Samurai, because as I'm going to talk about, I think the film was more about the the visuals than anything else. Um, this this film was about the, the execution and I think just trying to be cool. I, I almost feel like it's unfair to judge this on the characters. It's, it's fair to judge it on the story, because that's what you're watching this movie for is for a story so if you were to tell me the story is weird and goofy sure i can definitely agree with you but jeffrey falcon and this relationship with the kid i freaking loved partway through this movie because it gives you reasons to hate this kid it gives you reasons to not really trust this buddy holly character and when they finally earn their their relationship and their friendship towards each other i i believed it um, and I feel like that's a lot more important than the actual characters themselves is that that relationship and the point being of the story. So the good in this film, in my honest opinion, is the kick-ass rock and roll fable that this tries to tell, the, the slow motion, the visuals, the nonstop music, and Jeffrey Falcon. I, I felt like he didn't really need to say a whole lot or really need to convey a whole lot through his emotions because it wasn't about that. It was about the sleep, the sweeping slow motions of his samurai sword, his his choreography, and the visuals. This was trying to be more of an art house film with a dirt cheap budget. And I can I can definitely agree with you on that. I <clears throat> part of it I, I liked the adventure aspect of this movie. I thought it I thought it overall had good flow to it. The, so actually it had good flow. The only part that I didn't think flowed very well was when they were, it was, was it just after the bike broke down? It, the kid, the kid starts crying. Yeah. That scene went on a little too long. I forgot. They, about that they could have, it, cause it, it drove home the point that he was annoying. Paint us the picture. It, it was the kid sitting on the ground. <laughs> just Peter crying. Griffin style. Cry- yes, crying. Just uh it was. And then you know, in a what would have been a perfectly funny moment, like a perfect moment, Buddy Holly runs up, just screams at the kid, 
and then he and then to get the kid to laugh he starts like doing flips and purposely hurting himself which kudos to Jeffrey Falcon cuz you could tell he was just literally doing flips and landing well, and that was really on, good his, stunt work. on his back and like on his stomach it, and it was the scene could have just ended there though yes like or or like once he started walking away cuz it was it was the whole shtick was like he would do these flips and hurt himself. The kid would start to laugh. He'd immediately stop, and the kid would start to cry again. And this went on for what felt like forever. And it could have it could have just done that. He walked away, started crying again, looked back at the kid, and that could have been the end of the scene or something along those lines. But other than that, the adventure was very entertaining, despite however I feel about Jeffrey Falcon's acting. It was he had a he had a good enough cast around him. I feel like to maybe dull the blow of his great fighting performance, not great acting performance. But like you said, that's not the point. But the I, I feel like it flowed well as an adventure movie. And like you said, that that was that's one of the big points of it. It's the adventure which flowed fantastic for me. Aside from that. I agree with you, and and I, and I get what you're saying, Forrest, about the this being an art house film with the visuals, and and I'm a very big visual person too. I think the visuals are important, but but to me, when I'm not here to watch a painting, if I want to watch a painting, I'll go down to the Nevada Museum of Art. It's a great place, by the way, if you've never been there. But my my thing is is you need to have some sort of good script or story or something for me to get invested in this world. And then you add in the art style and everything to help build the world. And the world building in this film was, was interesting to me. And again, going back to what I was saying earlier, so many missed opportunities. They kept on feeding me. Oh, I'm just going to get into my second thing that just drove me nuts about this (laughs) film, because this really was the biggest problem I had. And this kind of, and we've, I think we've been touching on this a little bit is I feel like the script of this film and the, whoever came up with this idea, whatever the creative director was, I feel like I was watching something that was created by a 10 year old with ADHD. It's just like, there were so many things in this film where it was like the, it was like whoever this person was was going, oh, and then they encounter cannibal a cannibal family because that would be cool and weird, and it's like okay, that is kind of cool and weird, but then they didn't really do anything with it aside from one scene. It's like, well, we can't focus on this. We got to move on to the next weird thing. Here come the windmill people. Now they're gonna fight the gang with the, you know, the with the with the fucking bowling balls and everything, and you know they have the daggers inside the bowling pins. We're gonna do that thing, and now we're gonna move on to the to the heavy metal death. And, 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 and it's like they just kept on going back and forth, back and forth. It, it gave me so much whiplash. It was I'm like, speed can dating. I just, it was like yeah, speed dating for movies. Like, it was like freaking Tinder in some ways. Not that I've used Tinder, but you know what I mean. It's just like it drove me insane because I'm like, let me actually savor and understand what you're trying to do and actually explore for Christ's sake. And and that was what really drove me insane with the movie is there were so many things that I thought were interesting, but it was like they had such little attention to detail to actually flesh it out in any way. They just had to move on to the next thing. And you combine that with characters that don't really tie me into these weird things they're encountering. And the only thing that's holding it together are very good action scenes. I completely agree. The action scenes were great. And yeah, some of the choreography and the cinematography was really, really good. But it just made the movie feel so hollow to me. Combine that with horrible ADR. And ADR really takes things, the movies out. I mean, I understand that ADR is an important part of film. But you got to do it right. 
And some of the ADR was so bad in this film, it really just made me not get invested in the film. Just just to clarify for people who may not know, what is ADR? I can't remember the base. I can't remember the exact definition right off the top of my head. But basically, what it is is when you do film, right? Um, and unless you have really good sound equipment, like sound, like uh, boom mics and such, is your film your sound will not sound really good. It's going to sound distorted because obviously mm. we're not always recording in a sound studio and all that good stuff, right? So a lot of times, what people do is they'll take just the raw footage, they'll cut out all the sound, and then they'll overlay a new soundtrack with the actors recording in the studio with actual sound equipment. Like we're using now and everything, which is fine. But you, if you don't do it right, you end up with like you're watching like a really, really goofy um, Japanese or Chinese, you know, dub film, right? Where like the actor's lips are moving after the thing is done or whatever, which is constantly joked about in so many things. And that's the problem with this film is the ADR was done in a way where it didn't match up to me, and it didn't match up with like the environment they were working in at times, and it didn't. It didn't draw me into the film. Would you think that's intentional? If it is, I don't consider that to be a good thing. Okay. So the beginning of this film opens up with a particular type of, um, well, viewing. Um, When you first look at the five minutes of this film, the opening with Buddy Holly coming in, rescuing the kid from these cannibals or caveman, he's slicing them up. The view is this very almost fish-eyed look. The reason being, and they did this purposely for the first scene of this movie, because once again, Jeffrey Falcon and Lance are very huge, old kung fu, um, classic kind of uh, beat-em-up movies that originally when those classic Chinese kung fu movies were transferred over to VHS, they were squashed to fit onto the TV. So they had this very fish-eye fish eye look to them. So when he was talking about the the weird audio, I almost think it was purposeful, or at least they leaned into it knowing that they can't really get that pristine quality equipment. So I think a lot of the weirdness and the goofiness in this film was intentional. And the reason why I say that is I think this film has a really weird, if not deep, theming to it. And Ian... And Jacob are both looking at me weird because I've been warning them. I'm legitimately interested in what you're saying. Oh, is this your 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 weird conspiracy conspiracy hat theory, right? So I was doing a lot of research into this film, and I want to let you guys all know that 61 years ago today, as of recording, as of recording, that is correct. um, Buddy Holly and two other musicians of classic rock and roll 50s passed away. So I wanted to record on this day for a reason. I was hoping none of you would catch on. One of you did. So I had to spoil a little bit and basically tell you not to do research. Looking into this film, (laughs) I got to take a deep breath here. So this film has two themes that are kind of odd with it. One that I love, one that I didn't really love. And I'll talk to that one first. Wizard of Oz as this weird theming of Wizard of Oz in here. Um, when they meet this little hip-hop homie, he's talking about Fall the Yellow Brick Road. has this villain that's very obsessed with one particular item of uh, the main character being his pick. Um, and then he starts going after the little boy instead of the little dog. And then at the end of it, this wonderful Las Vegas has this huge map painting of... Emerald City-esque, yes. Very Emerald City-esque. Mm-hmm. Sure. And how the main villain, Death himself, who dresses like Slash... 
mm-hmm. is then dispatched by water. <clears throat> that theme is weird. doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me, nor can I pull a whole lot of it. But the other theming that I loved. Is anyone here familiar with the song American Pie by Don McLean? Yes. Oh, yeah. I love that my, song. My Miss American Pie. Now, can you tell me what that song is about? Yeah, it's about the death of, I can't remember the, the, the specific um, musician off the top of my head. but Buddy was, Holly. That was Buddy Holly? So oh, this okay. All right. oh, that, song okay. is, so this song labeled the event of which Buddy Holly and these two other musicians passed away. Ten or about 20-ish years after this event, the song came out, and the song was about the plane crash of Buddy Holly, Richie Valen, and Big Bopper. These three huge rock musicians crashed and they perished. John or Don uh, wrote the song because it was very nostalgic for him, and he believed this was the day that true music died. The lyrics being... The day the music died. Exactly. So... I think this whole entire film is a giant analogy, if not allegory, for the song American Pie. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm going to have to go back rolling. and look at the lyrics. No, the eyes are not rolling. I'm legitimately <clears throat> thinking about this. It's very interesting oh, what you're saying here, Ian, you don't have to go back and look at the lyrics. I'm going to read them of to you. Of course you do. Oh, my. <laughs> so there are multiple parts in this song that describe musicians of our time and our or back in that day. But what I want to do is read a few excerpts that relate directly to this movie that we just watched. So, first one, pretty obvious. Do you believe in rock and roll? Can music save your mortal soul? Can you teach me how to dance real slow? This is the first stretch. Rock and roll, saving your mortal soul. This this is all about this, this city, these group of people that want to be saved by rock and roll specifically. There is a, a vacuum of power of which metal, played by this death slash slash character, wants to then take control. The death of rock and roll. So, then going to that third line, can you teach me how to dance real slow? This is the goofy part. Remember Tai Chi? Dancing real slow? Mm, yeah. No? No? <clears throat> Alright, well let me get into something You'll else You'll go and finish here. up everything for us first, yeah. Well, here it comes. The next few paragraphs after that. Now, from ten years, we've been on our own. And moss grows fat on a rolling stone. But that's not how it used to be. Remember, in the beginning of our recording, I said, the film has this giant apocalyptic event, 1957, and then starts ten years after that? Mm -hmm. Hmm. Okay. Remember when I said it was this huge war between um, uh, Communist Party and us? So, in this film, there's multiple points of which communism is brought up. First being the music done by the Red Elvises, who is a very kind of goofy, um, red polka-type Music and it's I love very, the very fifties classic rock kind of flashy, yeah, with, know, show-offy with, kind of with, thing, yeah. with a very kind of uh, Russian feel to them. Yeah, the line, and while Lenin read a book on Marx, the film itself has this huge finale with the Russians, the Russians, the communists. Communists is dead, man. It's long dead, no longer cool, or whatever line he said. <clears throat> Continuing on. 
the song then starts talking about um, how uh, Satan laughing with delight. The devil in this film, or the death in this film, literally has five, six lines, and everything after that, he's, he laughs. Like, every single line, he does nothing but laugh. Another line in this, in this song, and three men I admire most, Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. In the song, he's referring to the three musicians and the three characters. The three musicians, Richie Valen, the uh, Buddy Holly, and Big Bopper. Richie Valen was actually in this movie, if you did not know. Remember that one character in the oh, bar scene? Oh. And he had the, the really lame the pirate, machete. The pirate sword oh. looking thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that guy. The one scene that you, Ian, did appreciate where Buddy Holly is basically grabbing the kid. They finally reunite over some circumstance. And um, he gets confronted by this guy that really says, are you big and tough? Music is all I got. I bet I can beat you up kind of thing. I think you're just some big, big toughie. And he is, but so is this character who is a mock of Richie Valen. Hmm. Okay. All right. And then throughout the film, Death himself is chasing after pretty much anyone who's trying to take the throne. And taking their guitar picks as his trophies. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Which I did like that part too. Oh yeah. He kills certain characters that are representative of musical themes. He kills a mariachi band player um, who was a huge influence of Big Papa who was a folk country style singer um, at one point they are ridiculing and shooting bow and arrow at little uh, hip hop midget dude so music is a huge theme throughout this film um, and throughout the song itself and the f- song even mentions about nuclear holocaust the birds falling eight miles high so going back to my weird little theory, I think this film is this wonderful little derpy passion project of music and the death of music. Hmm. And is it to be replaced? Who's going to take that, that code of James Dean? Another reference to the song. Well, the kid is. Buddy Holly in this film dies. Rock music as itself dies. Who is to pass on? Is, is rock music then dead? As Buddy Holly, Richie Valen, and Elvis passed away? Is it done? Is something else to take its place? Or is it to a new generation? You may go, Ian. So everything that you said so far, everything that you said here for us is really good. And I have to applaud you because that did really make me change. And and we didn't we didn't pre plan any of this. I'm just letting everyone know who's listening. Honestly, Force hid this from us, and he was super excited. So I'm legitimately impressed, and I'm not doing any stick right now. I like everything you said, and I actually would not be surprised if that's the case. And that makes me think that Lance Maniga is smarter than I initially thought. So the movie has definitely gone up in a couple of rankings, if that's true. It's a very interesting potential fan theory that makes enough sense. Here's my only problem with this, though. Okay. And and this is a problem I have with some of your movies. Like, just referring to recent movies, too. Whenever <laughs> I hear people say, oh, well, if you read the book, that would make more sense. But my problem with that is, though, is... At no point in that film did they reference that. Like, they could have, like, going back to, like, the narrator thing, right? You know, that they had the, the radio going on 
throughout the film like whenever there was like the what would be the example of like the narrator stepping in in the film to say the next step you know to help guide the story or something like that we had they had the old classic radio doing that instead what if they took exactly what you're talking about did the american pie song and they played it at times that match up with what you're saying to help guide the audience and understand what the metaphor was it never did that and unless you actually went back and you read the book, like I said, or you looked into what you're saying, which 99.9% of people are not going to do, you're going to completely miss the point of the film. That is my problem. Yet again, this film, if that's true, that is an amazing concept. But that honestly makes me more disappointed with the movie because if that's what he was going for, he did not do it justice, which is a big disappointment. I, I had a question actually regarding your theory. <laughs> it, no, because it, it, it's a, it's an interesting theory. Ian's okay. right. We Forrest was like, shush, don't look into anything about today because today's the day that he died 61 years ago that the plane crashed. But um, so we so uh, we never really saw it throughout the movie. We saw him. We saw Buddy, the character of Buddy, mm-hmm. diddling on the guitar a couple times here and there. We never actually got to hear him play music. Yeah, so, which was a disappointment. So, I, I agree. But um, the the significance of the kid walking away with the guitar, are, is your theory saying that he's carrying on the music, like Buddy Holly's style of music, or is he going to be taking like inspiration from it? I, I'm just a little confused on that aspect. I think that's fair because I, I kind of so, got that carrying on the torch thing too, but I also think that was a little muddled. Like, yeah. it, like if he if he got if he got inspiration from just hearing those couple diddles, okay, that kind of makes sense ish. But we never actually heard Buddy Holly play like a song. The character of Buddy Holly play a song in the movie. We we did, but the issue with that. Is that you didn't realize that he was multiple times throughout the film because the way the film was sounding, when he was playing his guitar, it just sounded like the background music. So when he's sitting in the car with the kid when they first get the car, he's playing his music, but he's playing his guitar to the music that you're hearing around the movie. So you assume it's just the background music to the movie when it's actually supposed to be Buddy Holly playing his 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 guitar. So it's kind of that weird sound. Um, kind of ADR that we were talking about earlier doesn't quite match up. Maybe it was on purpose, maybe it wasn't. At the very end of the film, they have this really wonderful um, final battle between Buddy Holly and um, Death himself, but it goes a little too short, in my opinion, and at one point, it's like, are they actually playing, or is this the music around them? Because they're not hooked up to any mics or amps, and you know that's, it just it, it sounds a little weird coming from them, so I can mm-hmm. see how you missed that. But going back to the kid, the kid, I think that's up to interpretation. It okay. is passing on to a new generation. Okay. It, the so taking like the influences of Buddy yeah, Holly the, is the what love, that's supposed to. The influence, to... The, that feeling, if not that core mentality of that music, and turning into something else, because every single thing that passes to another person is going to change. Right. But the core values of what Buddy well, his music had hopefully passed on to the kid. Okay, that's fair. That is completely fair. I want to talk really briefly as well because you were also bringing up in this uh, interpretation of American Pie about um, all these different genres basically battling against each other and death killing them all off. I didn't really get that, and that was actually something that... 
if it wasn't for these other things I've already talked about, I probably wouldn't have been quite so annoyed at it. It was just kind of like another thing for me is when you were explaining to me before this, but after we watched the film last time, as you said that, you know, death is supposed to represent heavy metal because he's like slash and everything. And, and buddy Holly is supposed to represent classic rock. And it's supposed to represent like the fact that classic rock is getting killed off by metal. And, and I'm not a musician like, like Bullwinkle is, and I'm not super music inclined, but I do have a very big love of music, especially classic rock through the 60s up until the 90s and all of the genres that come from it. And at no point in any of my love of that genre, I have ever felt like metal and classic rock have ever been at oppositions of each other. I've always felt like they're more like sister genres, and, and that didn't really work for me just because it was kind of like I don't know if maybe the villain was like a hip hop or rapper or pop or even techno or something like that would have been interesting like if instead of death they did like a cyborg techno you know go if you're going to do the ham do the ham up 50 style kind of thing mm-hmm. you know and make it like that like literally rock is getting killed off as uh, those of us in 2020 know that's exactly how things have basically been going in a lot of it's ways. It's not the popular music anymore. Yeah. <clears throat> it, rock is not the popular music anymore. It's replaced by all those other things. I feel like, again, like I keep on hammering, but I can't say it enough, missed opportunities are not explained enough to really make it make sense to me. And this is another example of that. Is I just, like... Sure, keep keep death in there. Keep keep them out. Like I'm okay with that. But then heighten up the other genres as well. That maybe Buddy Holly. Like I, I I actually sat down and I wrote out notes. Like if I added characters to represent um uh, genres and I made them more part of the story, what I do? And I'm like, okay, let's do country. A cowboy whose um violin is a crossbow. You know, a, a blues singer whose trombone is a rocket launcher. You know, something like oh, we totally get what he's supposed to be. Um, but you still got that goofy element. And again, they didn't really bring that in as much, and it made it odd to me. So I can agree, and I can kind of consign to that. But what I want to state here is I feel like there's going to be three sects of people, just like the three of us at the table, where one of us is going to be very critical and see this as more of a story, if not an arcing of something where something should be accomplished with that criticism of which ian has and i love bubba loving it so much because of it's just terrible goofy schlock mm-hmm. which i can appreciate and i feel like there's there's this other part or sect of people maybe i'm in this that i think almost see this as more of an inspirational thing if you hate this movie it's going to be really hard to not see the themes that it tried to bring across because at some point this movie must have been an inspiration to someone because this movie is actually in a lot of pop culture. So this movie inspired um, the the Fallout New Vegas series, uh, along with another movie that I'm a huge fan of, Boy and His Dog. This movie was intended to be a trilogy, and people are still fighting for this. Um, this this movie has inspired uh, cosplay and um, cult fan film watching. There, there's an audience for this. There's an audience for every single movie, whether it is Pure Luck or um, uh, or the other rock and roll movie. Streets of Fire. Streets of Fire. They're good and bad in every single movie, and there will be people that love and hate every single movie. So, coming to that, there are some issues that I had with this film. The ending guitar battle I thought was lame. Um... 
the kid, I felt like they should have stuck him home a little longer, made him just a little cooler and less whiny. Because at times I wanted to high-five him, other times I want to strangle him. I don't want that huge thought process in my head when I just want to watch a cool slow-motion movie. And another thing that I thought was super-duper weird, they eat gumballs like fruit? What? I do remember that. That was weird. I, yeah, that was interesting. I, <clears throat> I just want to hit a couple bullet points. I'm not going to go in depth on anything. I want to give a couple good, a couple bad. Uh, a couple of the good things that I that I really enjoyed. I, I thought the costumes were actually really good yeah, for this sure. movie. The... Um, uh, the I I think Ian mentioned it the uh, cinematography I really enjoyed of it it was uh, really good um, the but the bad in it oh actually one more thing I liked when they uh, encountered the Cleaver family mm-hmm. who's yeah the cannibals did, the cannibal the the cannibal Cleaver the stereotypical family. canned white did did you guys catch family. all of their names by the way. Did you catch their names? Rusty Cleaver, and that's all I got. So there's Ward Cleaver, but it's spelled C-L-E-A-V-E-R, like the actual knife. Okay. It's Ward Cleaver, which is a reference to uh, Beaver, Beaver Cleaver. Oh, okay. That Ward Cleaver was his dad, I believe. And then there's Harriet Cleaver, Peggy Cleaver, and Rusty Cleaver. Hmm. I enjoyed that little weird, goofy thing for a second. Um... But I, my my downsides of it though I I can't really go and I I I basically agree with Ian on all my downsides of it. Um, but at the end of the day, I still actually really love this movie. Not love it, I like it for I love it because it's so bad. Actually, that those are the words I'll use. So we're gonna do a um a, a scene change here, and because Forrest talked about things he didn't like about the movie, now I'm gonna be the advocate for this movie and talk about the things I did like because yes despite all my ragging for the past 40 minutes or however long it's been, there were some things I did like about this film. Um, so there's there's one thing in particular I'm going to talk about that I think that um, Jacob is going to appreciate that I brought up. There was a specific scene that we laughed so fucking hard. Oh, my God. Yes, that we paused oh it and rewound it just to watch it again. Oh. And honestly, that, that scene was so funny. Is there's a scene oh. where the kid basically in the middle of this fight between Buddy Holly and Death. where there's three archers. Yeah, and there's three archers. The kid gets captured by a, a monster? I don't, I'm not right sure what it's it was, supposed to it be, was, but... It had to do with the... Uh, it is the windmill, the windmill people, people monster. Yeah. yeah, it was a windmill people monster. It's basically these tentacles coming out of a drainage pipe, essentially. But, but there's specifically where the kid has apparently been entangled by this, and he's being dragged into the pipe, and, and just saying <laughs> that... <laughs> setting oh. the scene <laughs> is you've got like this this desert bank right this this um uh sand bank so you only see the upper half of the kid and he's apparently being drugged by his monster and you can clearly tell that the kid is being drugged by like a toboggan or or he's, something. like he's just in a wagon and they're pulling him yeah, in. and they're just pulling and him they, he's just waving his arms around they, just going ah they instructed him to wave his arms. And it's just like this it's, kind of relatively long shot. It's like a good four or five seconds. It's and so it's just, cheesy. It's so and it, cheesy and funny that uh, we were just laughing our asses off. And it's that, great. I love that. That scene. was legitimately entertaining for me and that made me laugh. Uh, talking about the stunt choreography. Yeah, stunt choreography was good. We've talked a lot about that, so I'm not going to get that much into it. 
Um, the music, yes, I did really love the music in this film. That was one of the things that I did that did tie me into this world. What was the name of the band again? The Red Falcons? Red Elvises. Red, Red Elvises. The music never stopped Yeah, this the film. music love was it. great in this film. And, and then the, the, the last thing that um, I liked is going on with your art house thing is some of the way that the uh, some of the shots done in this film I thought were very competent and there was one in particular that I really liked I mean it's been in multiple films anytime you have a desert in a film they'd like to do this but I like the shot is you see Buddy Holly and the kid riding across the desert on this motorbike and there's the heat shimmer and in the background, there's the mountains, and then the heat shimmers reflecting the mountains where it looks like they're basically driving on like a lake or something almost um, with the with the mountains reflected. I thought that was a really, really nice scene, and I appreciated that. So those, yeah, so there were some things I liked about this film. So I think, uh, I think we need to get into ending points I and agree. then uh, get to our, our oh-so-favorite segment. Um, ending points for me... Um, I'm, I, I definitely think that this is one you should see if if you enjoy the goofy, the cheesy, I, if you enjoy those so bad it's good movies. Um, like I said, <clears throat> take down the wall of uh, critical viewing, I think, for this one. You, you need to just kind of strip that away and just try to try to get get yourself invested into the movie that way without the critical part i know for some people like ian it is hard which that's understandable but i think for this one you just need to tear that tell tear that veil away and just view it like that and i think you'll you'll find that you may like it either way i recommend i recommend watching this one at least twice actually once for the initial viewing and twice if after you've heard this theory of forest you can go back and maybe Put put a couple two plus twos together, equaling four, kind of thing. So, yeah. So actually, that, that's so funny to say because that was actually exactly what I was going to say. Is is up until Force brought on that interesting conspiracy theory, hidden meaning, whatever you want to describe it as. Uh, I know I'm just jokingly saying conspiracy theory because that's what we thought you were going to say. Um, up until he had said that in this episode, so literally as of 20 minutes ago or whatever it was. Um, I was going to vehemently say I do not advocate watching this movie. Now what I'm going to say, Forrest is like sitting here doing a little victory dance in the background. What I am going to say now is after you've listened to this episode and only after you've listened to this episode, go watch the movie and see if you are getting the same thing out of it that Forrest got. And don't forget to add your comments into it so we know that you saw it. Like and subscribe. Ring the bell and don't forget to hit that like button. Oh, wait, no, we're not a YouTube channel. This one is free on YouTube, by the way. It is. It is this is on one YouTube. of the few ones. Six String Samurai is free to watch on YouTube, so this one will not cost you any money. It'll just cost you a little bit of your time. Yeah. So, would I recommend this film? Of course. I absolutely love it. I love it for its style, for its visuals, the way it makes me feel. Um, the music is nonstop, so I most certainly would recommend this film. It's cool. All right, and now... For the Urban Dictionary Corner. Alrighty. Since... The dark, dark corner. The dark, <laughs> the dark deep corner. web of so, Reject Rejects. Talking about themes and what made sense, showing versus telling and all that. The blurb for today is Wizard of Oz in relation to the wonderful theme that this movie kind of sort of had with Wizard of Oz. <clears throat> okay. So that's all I'm going to give you, but you have the tools at your your disposal here. 
Wizard of Oz. It is a sexual act. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Almost hit it just a few seconds ago when you mentioned something. I, Wizard of Oz. Wizard of Oz. You've been Wizard of Oz. And I almost hit it when I mentioned something. About three minutes ago, you what was the, said the word veil. Oh, no. <laughs> I... Um, Where my mind was going was has nothing to do with what I think we're going for, so I'm not even gonna. So I'm picturing someone's got to be wearing the red, the red, uh, the red shoes, red shoes. Um, it's not that complicated or clever, unfortunately. Do you just kind of spread the cheeks apart, and the wizard is not seeing anybody today, and, you, <laughs> and then you close it? Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. <gasps> Ian, oh, do you actually? Oh, you wanna. You, you spread wanna... the butt cheeks and say, pay atten- no, no attention to the... No. So. <laughs> I'm it... guessing it is an act where you are going down on your partner where she is wearing a dress and you're trying to hide underneath her dress. And then when they... Or, or maybe when they're underneath the dinner table, like in a lot of films, <laughs> and then you get caught and then you say, oh, no, I got Wizard of Oz. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Actually, that's a lot better than what this actually is. New so... Urban Dictionary reference. <laughs> when you fuck a person behind a curtain... Or something thin when other people are around. People fuck in the shower, for instance, or in the bathroom. <laughs> people in a room that is only separated by a sheet. And the people's bumping uglies. So literally fucking them behind the, per- the curtain. Pay no attention to the... People fucking behind, the, behind, behind the, the curtain. curtain. Yeah, that was, that was an anticlimactic one, but I like the ones that we came yeah, up with. Yeah, Ian's was better. Yeah. I apparently should be a writer for Urban Dictionary. I'm not sure well, I want that Well, we do have our uh, thing on Urban Dictionary, Ian. I know. Would you I like know. me to put that in Urban Dictionary? No, right along with no. our... Can, can I rewrite the screenplay for this film? No. You can eat <laughs> a donkey jerk. <laughs> all righty. I think that's yeah. a good place to end it. Uh, thank you for not ejecting these rejects. Love you. See you all next time. Same time, same bat channel. Woo! And uh, goodbye.